Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed before you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is to if it, it is if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Andrew. Good morning. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will open our eyes this morning to see the truth you have for us. And we pray that we'll leave here just a little differently because we've worshipped, fellowshiped, and heard from your word. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. As, um, as a lot of you know, I was born and raised in uh, South Africa. And at that time, um, South Africa was part of the British Empire. I was part of the post-World post War II baby bulge. Our dads came home from the Second World War, and 1946 was a bumper crop of babies. We broke all kinds of records and athletics and everything because we were twice the size of any other class. Um, South Africa, where I was raised in the city of Durban, we revered Winston Churchill. You know, my clear concept of, the, of World War II was that Winston Churchill and General Montgomery won the Second World War. I was never quite sure what Eisenhower and Bradley and Patton were doing wandering around Europe until I came to the United States. Um, it was common knowledge that Winston Churchill's great speech on June 4th of 1940 
was one of the galvanizing moments in the history of the British Empire. That's when he gave that great speech um, to Parliament about we'll fight them on the beaches, we'll fight them wherever. And these words were very uh, significant when you were growing up as part of the British Empire. This is a defining moment for Great Britain. You remember that speech? And at this time, if you remember, uh, Britain was losing the war. France had just capitulated. London was being bombed every day. The United States had not entered the war. And this is the inspiring message he gave to the country. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We will fight on the seas and the oceans. We will fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills, and we shall never surrender. Now, Churchill actually gave three speeches in about a five-week period, and these speeches inspired the, 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 the country to commit and to have the courage to, to keep fighting the Second World War when it looked they were, like they were losing. Now, there were some other defining moments. Certainly, Pearl Harbor was a defining moment that brought the United States into the Second World War, and D-Day was certainly a defining moment. But as I was growing up, Winston Churchill's speech was a defining moment in British history. This morning, I want to talk to you about what could be a defining moment in your life and in mine. So if you could please turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We're going to look at that this morning. Um, first, a little on structure. Verse 1, um, I exhort you to present your bodies living sacrifices to God. It's clearly a sort of a general exhortation. Verse 2 is subordinate to verse 1, but it's still general in nature. Don't conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then verse 3 starts a specific applications. And really, the rest of chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14 are specific applications of that exhortation. The, the big idea or the main idea of verse 1 is pretty clear. Total and unconditional commitment to God is the only logical and reasonable response to God's mercy and grace to us. Look at the first word, therefore. Therefore, clearly points back to, verse, to chapters 1 through 11. Based on chapter 1 through 11, I'm exhorting you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Clearly, the essence of the exhortation is offer your bodies as living sacrifices. When he talks about the bodies, he's not talking about just our flesh. He's talking about our entire person, body, soul, and spirit, all of you. And he's using a figure of speech that the audience, the church at Rome would have known pretty well, and that's the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament. Just as an animal was brought before the altar, slaughtered, and then offered to God, so he's saying, 
as a figure of speech and a metaphor, I want you to come to the altar. Get up on the altar as a living sacrifice and be wholly available to, uh, wholly available to God. It's just a figure of speech for total and unconditional commitment to God. A Christian man once said to his pastor, Pastor, what is your idea of total commitment? His pastor handed him a blank sheet of paper and said, Sign your name at the bottom and let God fill in the details. That is total commitment. I was always afraid that God would fill it in wrong. But God is gracious and he fills it in correctly. When, uh, when I was a younger Christian, we used to talk about the fact that God wanted fat people, uh, fully committed, available, teachable. That's fully committed people to God. But the key verse here, the key phrase here is in view of God's mercies. The exhortation is clear. I'm exhorting you to make a total and unconditional commitment to God. Why should we do it? Paul says, in view of God's mercies, or because of God's mercies, along with the therefore, that points us back to chapters 1 through 11, where Paul has spent 11 chapters laying out God's mercy and grace to the believers. So God's mercy and grace is the basis or the motivation for this commitment that God wants us to, to, to make. Now, you all remember that the word grace basically means God's blessing and favor to those of us who are completely undeserving. God's mercy means God's favor and help to those of us who are helpless and hopeless to do it ourselves. So mercy and grace are brother and sister words that really talk about God's favor and blessing on those of us who are undeserving and helpless and hopeless to accomplish it ourselves. So I want to review with you quickly God's mercies and grace in the first 11 chapters. So hold on to your hats here. We're going to go quickly. Romans chapter 3, the apostle Paul says, by faith alone, in Christ alone, you are justified freely by God's grace. Justified means we are declared to be forever righteous. Or conversely, we're declared to be forever not guilty of the sins we have in fact committed because Christ paid for them on the cross. In chapter 4, the Apostle Paul reminds us that faith alone in Christ alone means that our sins are totally forgiven because Christ paid for them. Like David, our sins will never be counted against us. We can use that imagery from the Psalms. Your sins have been buried in the deepest sea, and God has posted a notice outside saying, no fishing. They're forgiven, they're forgotten. In Acts chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, even though you used to be enemies of God because of your selfish and rebelliousness, because of your faith in Christ, you're now reconciled to God. God, the judge who declared us to be not guilty, God, the priest who forgave us, is God, our friend, who wants to have a relationship with us. And then in Romans chapter 8, 
We're told that when we put our faith in Christ, we're adopted into God's family. God becomes our father. We become his sons and daughters, and we get to inherit glory with the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's also present mercy and grace that God gives us. When we trust Christ, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit within us enables us to follow Christ, to live the kind of life we could never live on our own. God's mercy and grace. Um, Romans chapter 8 says, God in every way at all times is working all things together for good to those of us who love God for the purpose of conforming us to the image of Christ, making us like Christ. Even the warnings in, in uh, Romans chapter 6 not to abuse grace is merciful and gracious and reminding us, don't go down that path. The end of that is not where you want to be. And then there's future grace. Think of, of, of uh, Romans 5 and Romans 8. Those of us who have been justified are guaranteed eternal life. And then to put more flesh on the bones, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that one day we will receive resurrection bodies just like Christ's resurrection body when Christ returns and will rule and reign with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. What do we do to deserve this? Mercy and grace. And then remember the end of Romans chapter 8, those great verses? Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he glorified. And those he glorified, no, sorry, start over again. Those he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Count on it. No breakage in that golden chain. We are guaranteed glory in Eternity, resurrection bodies, and the new heaven and the new earth. So when you reflect on all those things that God, by his grace, has done for us, Paul is saying, that's the motivation to totally commit yourself to God. You folks all remember that country western song? I like country western songs because I spent a lot of time in Texas. I went to the University of Texas that used to have a football program. <laughs> I was the only person hoping USC would lose so I wouldn't feel too bad. But you did what we couldn't do. At any rate, I, that, I spent a lot of time in Texas. That's where I got this Texas accent from. Uh, and we're big into country western there. You, you, you folks remember this country western song? I've told this before, but it'll be new to some of you. Remember the 10-year-old boy that, that comes to his mother while she's washing the dishes, and she gives him, he gives her a note, and on the note written in his best handwriting is a kind of invoice of sorts. For mowing the lawn this week, $5. For cleaning my room, $3. For looking after baby brother when you enter the store, $5. For taking out the trash this week, twice this week, $2. For getting a good report card, $10. For setting the table most nights, $4. Total owed, $29. His mother wiped, dries her hands, takes a piece of paper, takes a stubby little pencil out of his hand, turns it over, and she writes on the other side, for the nine months I carried you, 
growing inside of me, no charge. For the nights I stayed up with you, no charge. For the thousands of diapers I changed for you, no charge. For the thousands of meals I've cooked for you, no charge. For washing your clothes every week, no charge. For nursing you when you were sick, no charge. The full cost of my love is no charge. And she hands it back to the little boy. The little boy looks at it, reads it, with a tear in his eyes, says, Mom, I'm happy to go and mow the lawn for nothing. That's the motivation. When we recognize what God, by his grace, has given us for free, we happily, voluntarily want to commit our lives to him. It, it's not a tit for tat. We're not paying him back for what he did on the cross. Only he could do what he did on the cross. We're just responding in grace to what he has done for us. Now, the end of that verse, you'll notice there's a little phrase that says this, that is, that is total commitment to Christ. This is your true and proper form of worship. I'm going to tell you a little bit more than you want to know here. The two Greek words in the original language here are logikos, or logikon latrina, latria. Now, Latria is, was a religious word that meant basically service or worship. We obviously got our English word latrine from there. I guess you're servicing, I don't know, but, but somehow we got the English word. Uh, logicon means logical, reasonable. So basically, if you just look at the means of words, it says that making a total commitment of your life is a logical form of service or, or worship. It's a reasonable form of service or worship. And, um, but the word is tricky to, to understand. But I've always taught, as those of you who, who, who've heard me teach this, that this, this is the correct way. So I checked with three commentators this week. I checked with um, uh, Douglas Moo and Schreiner and with Tim Keller. And they all, they're all smart guys, too, because they agreed with me that it's clearly <laughs> logical is the proper emphasis here. In fact, if you look at your blurb in the bulletin, if you look at your blurb in the bulletin, this is a quote from Tim Keller that says the same thing as I'm saying in a kind of reverse way. He says, once you have a good view of God's mercy, anything less than a total Complete sacrifice of yourself to God is completely irrational. I said it in a positive way. A total and unconditional commitment of yourself to God is the only logical and reasonable response of a Christian to God's mercy and grace. Now we look at verse 2. Verse 2 is still general, but it's, it, it's basically saying, how do we implement this total commitment of ourselves to Christ. And the main idea, or the big idea of verse 2 is the renewed mind that God gives us is the power that enables us to live out this total commitment on a daily basis so that we have transformed lives and we experience the will of God. That's what verse 2 is saying. Look how it starts. Don't be conformed to this world. 
This world at its best is a world that operates as though God does not exist. At its worst, it's full of sin, selfishness, pride, immorality, greed, and violence. God says, don't, don't get involved with the world. Don't live like a non-Christian. That's just totally incongruent with a total commitment to Christ. Unfortunately, most of us have, have a problem. Because we're living sacrifices, we tend to crawl off the altar, and we tend to get one foot in the world and one foot in grace. I know that doesn't apply here, but in Virginia, people have that problem. <laughs> uh, that's a big problem. God said, don't get involved in the world. That's incongruent with who you are. But the positive we want to focus on. But instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Both don't conform to this world and be transformed on the present tense. These are things that we do every day, every hour. Being transferred, being transformed is talking about a, a complete transformation. Uh, it, it, our, our thinking is transformed. Our decisions are transformed. Our behavior is transformed. We look more like Jesus Christ. We're transformed into the image of Christ. We start to look like Jesus Christ. So what does a transformed life look like? Well, clearly it looks like the fruit of the Spirit. You all remember the fruit of the Spirit? Okay, we'll start here with the first one. Love, no, love, joy, Peace, patience, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what a transformed life looks like. Or I like to say, because my ministry has been primarily to men, the five smooth stones, David's five smooth stones for a transformed life for men is a life of Moral and sexual purity. It's a life of financial integrity. It's a life of humbly serving others. It's a life of edifying and encouraging speech. It's a life of perseverance. You run it through the tape. The transformed life is also some of what Andrew read to us this morning in the rest of Romans 12. Love must be sincere. Honor others above yourselves. Be joyful in hope, patient in difficulties, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice, except if they're USC people. <laughs> it's much harder to rejoice with, it's much harder to weep with those who weep than rejoice with those who rejoice, particularly if they're peers. That's what the transformed life looks like. But the key, the key to this whole program is in the next phrase. And if you've been sleeping, wake up. This is the program now. This is the most important part of what I'm going to say today now. How are we transformed to be Christ-like people? And the key phrase here is, by the renewing of your mind. And let me explain to you what uh, Paul is talking about here. When we trust Christ as our Savior, 
Christ, through the Holy Spirit, comes to live in our minds, in our hearts and in our minds. And immediately, he begins renewing our hearts and our minds. Under the old covenant, the old, under the old covenant, the law, the Mosaic law taught the nation of Israel what was right and wrong. But in Romans chapter 7, the apostle Paul tells us, the, we, we have died to the law. We're no longer under the law. Instead, God puts his Holy Spirit into our minds, and the Holy Spirit in our minds teaches us what's right and what's wrong. Instinctively, we know what's right and wrong because the Holy Spirit is renewing our minds every day. And then we have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in renewing our minds. Uh, Pastor Dave has been talking over the summer on how we develop a flourishing personal spiritual life. He's talking about cultivating your renewed mind. The Holy Spirit's already renewing it. But God wants us to cooperate with that. And the Holy Spirit authored the Bible. And the way we cooperate is as we read, or listen, read, study, memorize, and meditate on the Bible, we reinforce, we reaffirm, we reinvigorate, we affirm what the Holy Spirit is already doing in our minds. You gotta read your Bible every day. There's no other way. I became a Christian when I was 15 years old in South Africa under a group called Scripture Union. And Scripture Union is big into daily Bible reading. And after I, after I became a Christian, I told that to the guy who was leading the camp. Uh, and, and, and he sent me then these Scripture Union Bible readings every quarter. And so every day, starting within a month of becoming a Christian, I used to read the Bible every day. It was a little, little bitty booklet here. There's a verse, and then there's a little blurb, and then you pray at the end, you know, is there a command to obey? Is there a promise to do? Or something like this. It took about 15, uh, 20 minutes. During this time, I was going, we were going to a liberal Anglican church that didn't really preach the gospel. But I thought that all Christians did this. This was part of the deal. You became a Christian, and then you had to read the Bible every day. That's part of the deal. About three years later, I went to an evangelical Bible-teaching church, and I found out most people don't do this. This was novel. But fortunately, I got hooked on the habit of doing it and have been reading the Bible every morning for the last uh, 55 years. Uh, Pastor Dave told you how he does it. The way I do it, very different ways, but the way I'm doing it for 2017 is I, I follow the, the Daily Walk Bible. And this is a way where you read through the whole Bible in a year, maybe four or five chapters a day or something like that. And I've, I'm, I'm doing that for 2017. So yesterday morning, I'm reading an Amos. Amos is preaching to the northern kingdom of Israel, and he's telling them, I'm tired of your burnt offerings and your holy day ceremonies and your going through the motions of religion. Because when you aren't at the temple, you're involved in violence and greed and injustice. I'm tired of you going through the motions. I want the real deal. I want real commitment. So as I'm reading that, I'm saying, okay, Brian Christie, don't go through the motions. <laughs> God is telling you the real deal, not just the motions. Just 
this is what I want. And that's how God reinforces our renewed mind. And the renewed mind gives us the ability to have renewed thinking and renewed decision-making and renewed behavior. And the result is a transformed life. Now, let me bring this, if I can, to Orange County 2017. As we go back to verse 1, the the key word there is to offer, or some translations have, to present your body as a living sacrifice. Um, in, the original, in, in the original Bible, in the Greek, it's in a tense that we call the aorist tense that focuses on the act. It, it, it puts special intensity, uh, emphasis, and seriousness on the act. Um, for instance... Um, when we were raising our boys in Texas, if I told our boys, we have three boys, if I told our boys back then, I need you to make your beds before you come to breakfast, I would have used the present tense. It's not the end of the world if they don't, if they don't make their beds. But I was, telling, if I was telling them, I'm telling you, you never talk back to your mother. Otherwise, there'll be blood and hair flying around here. If I did that, that's Texas talk. If I did that, I'd use the heiress tense. <laughs> this is serious. This is intense. I only had to tell them that about five or six times. Uh, you never, you never, you never talk back to your mother. That is, can't do that. Never, 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 never. I'd use the heiress tense. It's serious. That's the tense Paul, Paul uses here. Now, I don't, some of the old Bible teachers used to say it was a once and for all commitment that Romans 12, 1 is talking about, that you trust Christ and then you make a once and for all commitment that lasts for life. I think that's overpressing it. However, I think this commitment is, it, it is a serious commitment. It's something you'll probably, a, a, a Christian will probably do maybe eight or 10 times in a lifetime. Um, I've probably done it about seven or eight times in my life when I've come to some point in my life that's a defining moment and I've made this kind of commitment. The very first time I made this commitment uh, was back in uh, probably 1967. I'd been a Christian about four or five years. My dad, who used to humbly refer to himself as my first convert, he'd been a Christian about two or three years. And he and I, one Knight went down to Central Baptist Church in Durban, and we went to hear Alan Redpath preach, who was a famous British preacher. And uh, he was preaching on Romans 12, 1. And he preached on total commitment to Christ is the only logical and reasonable response to God's grace. And then at the end, he, he had a, a call for us to respond. And he said, we're going to sing as the last verse. We're going to sing... After I finish here, uh, when I survey the wondrous cross. And the last two lines, you'll remember that we sang earlier, go like this. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And he said, if you feel like the Spirit is tugging on your heart to make this commitment, when we, when we come to sing those last two lines, I want you to stand up. And sing instead, while everyone else is singing, sing instead, love so amazing, so divine, shall have my soul, my life, my all. I had just bailed out of medical school, and I was going to come to America to 
study the Bible and start a new life here. And uh, I was at, at, at a time when, when uh, I wanted to make that commitment. That was my first defining moment commitment. And as, as we sang that hymn, my, da- my dad and I stood together. Love so amazing, so divine, shall have my soul, my life, my all. That was a defining moment for me, a defining moment for my dad as we um, moved forward in that. And then verse 2, of course, is a daily thing. I don't know where you are this morning. I know the folks in the church at Rome here, some of them were doing great spiritually, but perhaps needed to take another step. Some of them were going through the motions, came to church because their family wants them to come to church. It's the right thing to do, kind of boring, but uh, just go through the motions. Some of the folks in the church at Rome, just like us, we kind of had, a, had their feet in, they had their feet in both worlds. They were starting to, their language was starting to get salty. They were reading and looking at things they probably shouldn't be reading and looking at. Their, their financial integrity was was fraying at the edges, and uh, they were were sliding. And some of them were just flat out sinning. We also know at the church at Rome, there there was some tension between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians over whether you ate meat offered to idols and things like that. So they were at all stages of their life, just like we are. But perhaps today, God is uh, tugging at your heart and saying, you know, I'm tired of going through the motions. I've made a similar commitment years ago, but maybe, maybe this is the time for, that, for another commitment. Maybe this is, this is my time. This is a defining moment for me. Um, a little, little bit of a personal thing. Um, I'm 70 years old now. Um, and you know, we, we're beginning to go through a transition of, uh, you know, I've been practicing law for the last uh, 38 years about 28 of them here in Newport Beach. And now we're on our way to retiring to Williamsburg, Virginia in the next year or so. And uh, as I've been studying this passage, God's been speaking to me and saying, Brian, I want you to finish strong. These next 15 years of your life or whatever I give you, I want you to finish strong. I want you to run it through the tape. I want you, like the Apostle Paul, to be able to say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Whatever happens, whether you, whatever you do, whether you stay here and practice law, or you teach at William and Mary Law School, or you help a startup company, or you play golf, I want you to be totally committed to me. And, uh, you know, as you get older, you just... You know, you become more vulnerable. Um, I, I had to go to Scotland for two weeks. You know, I had to play golf for five days. And as a result, I got this terrible tennis elbow that was so sore when I woke up this morning. It, it, it was tough. And then I'm in Edinburgh, and I'm running up and down the streets of Edinburgh with my grand nieces, Tina's sister married a Scottish doctor and they had kids and these are their kids. So we're running up and down the streets of Edinburgh thinking I'm 40 years old racing these kids and then we climb up Arthur's seat. For those of you in Edinburgh, you know, that's the top there. And I tweak my hamstring. I got a sore. And then yesterday afternoon I'm playing 
baseball with my five-year-old grandson who's here in Long Beach, and we, we're playing on the, the Harborview fields there, you know those baseball fields outside Harborview Homes there? And I'm sprinting around the bases trying to escape his tag, and I tweak my hamstring again. <laughs> I'm going through a transition. <laughs> I used to be an athlete. I used to run marathons. I've climbed, I've climbed Kilimanjaro. I'm, I'm like the real deal. <laughs> and now I can't even run bases without tweaking my, my hamstring. But it's that transitions like this that God sometimes says, saying to me, whatever you do, doesn't matter if you practice law here a couple of years longer or whether you go to Williamsburg, Virginia, we have a house there. The most important thing is that you are totally committed to me and that you constantly renew your mind, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, so that you live a transformed life. That's what's important. You know, my identity is at risk here as well. I'm doing this because I'm a lot of you are going through this as well, except at different stages. My identity is rest. My purpose in life for the last 40 years has been to be a self-supporting Bible teacher and to teach and encourage men from the Word of God off the platform of being in the business world. Well, what happens if I quit? Who am I? What do I do? What platform do I have? And God is saying to me, it doesn't matter. Commit yourself to me. Um, through a bizarre series of circumstances, uh, back in about, I don't know, 1985, 86, 85, 86, I ended up owning a Cessna 172 that I could not fly, but my 16-year-old my son could fly it. And I remember that the second time he flew us in this plane, we flew from Austin, Texas, into Angel Fire, New Mexico. We had a place in the mountains of New Mexico. And we, we flew in, and then I still remember flying out. You know, Angel Fire is surrounded by mountains. So in front of you, there's a 13,000 foot mountain, and then there's another one over here, and another one over here, and then there's a passage through which we're gonna go. And here I am in the plane, my 17-year-old son's flying. I'm sitting in the front. Our second son is in the back. And we, we taxi and we start. And we're coming down this, and we're accelerating and accelerating and accelerating. And there comes a time when you've got to commit. And Paul pulled back the joystick. <laughs> no return. Took off. You're looking at the mountain. You got a 17-year-old driving this blooming plane. <laughs> you go here, and then you bounce around in the clouds, and then you lose an opening, and you got a mountain 13,000 feet this side. Th th <laughs> you made it safely to Austin. <laughs> Maybe God wants some of you today to pull that joystick, to say, yes, today is the day. I'm tired of going through the motions. Got my feet placed in both worlds. Or I just need, I just need to take that step. The, the end of verse 2 um, says that then, when you do this, when you make this commitment to God, when you, when you live a transformed life 
renewed by the Spirit that says, then you will test and approve what the will of God is, his perfect, good, and acceptable will. That's the key. If you live this kind of a life, you will be slap bang in the middle of God's will. And God is saying to me, Brian, it doesn't matter if you're in Newport Beach or Williamsburg, Virginia. I want you slap bang in the middle of my will. And being in the middle of God's will is where we all want to be. That's what I want to be. That's what you want to be, in the middle of God's will. And the way to be in the middle of God's will is to meditate on God's grace, make a serious commitment, unreserved, blank page to God, and commit to cooperate with Him in developing your renewed mind so you live a transformed life. doesn't matter then where you live or what you do. You'll be slap bang in the middle of God's will. And when you're in the middle of God's will, you have joy. Joy. Joy is that state of mind where I'm basically, it's contentment on steroids. It's that sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. It's that sense that I'm I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm using my gifts and abilities to serve Him. I'm operating on all cylinders. I'm being who I should be. I'm doing what I should do. There's nothing like that. That's what I want for the next 15 years. That's what you want. Love so amazing, so divine, shall have my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just think about your incredible mercy and grace and love to us, justification, forgiveness, reconciliation, adoption, indwelling the Spirit, resurrection bodies, glory that you've given us by your mercy and grace. Lord, our response, we want to respond as we sing these next two great songs we want to respond. We want to be like Jesus, and we want to live for Jesus. And help us as we sing these songs together. In Christ's name, amen.